Jeremiah chapter 20. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 20. We'll begin reading with verse 7. O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily, and every one mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart. As a burning fire shut up in my bones... And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Let's pray. Father, please bless the reading of your word. And Lord, this morning I pray that you will fill me and every student, every person in this room with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that without you we can do nothing. And we also know that you said, if we being evil know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more would our Heavenly Father give unto us the Holy Ghost if only we ask? Oh, God, we need you today. We ask you to fill us. And Lord, I never take for granted of the burdens that those I'm speaking to today may be carrying. I pray today that your power and the hope of the things that we may mention We'll lift it, and Lord, the strength will be evident from you. I pray today, without being presumptuous, that if there's somebody here that still has not settled in their heart, that wonderful relationship of knowing you as their Savior, Lord, today, I pray that you would move and help us. And God, today, we're going to thank you by faith for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. We pray and we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. In 1934, during his second year as Chancellor of the German Reich, Adolf Hitler invited the leaders of the evangelical churches of Germany to a meeting in Berlin. His goal was to silence the mounting criticism that was coming from pastors and Christians of the Nazi regime and its anti-Semitic policies that they were enforcing. Among those present at that meeting was a fiery young preacher named Martin Nimmler. Hitler promised pastors that the position of the church in Germany had never been more safe. It was never to be more secure. That its tax exemptions and its state Support would remain unchanged under Nazi government. And Nimmler, knowing that not to be true, pushed to the front of the group to confront the chancellor. Standing face to face with Germany's ruler, the bold young preacher asserted, Our concern 
Herr Hitler, is not for the church. Jesus Christ will take care of his church. Our concern is for the soul of our nation. Embarrassment swept across the room and silence followed as it was immediately evident that Nimler spoke only for himself. It was not the other preacher's present opinion. His chagrined and embarrassed colleagues quickly shuffled him off to the side and away from the front of the room. Noting their timid reaction, Hitler smiled as he replied, The soul of Germany, well, you can leave that to me. And if you know anything about history, they did. Hitler records that Christians looked the other way. And in that horrific time of history, over six million Jews suffered by losing their lives in the ovens of the Holocaust, all while others were looking away. I submit to you today that we find ourselves in a very similar predicament, not only personally, but also nationally and spiritually. Once again, the innocents are being slaughtered by the millions. Our country is being led down the path of destruction. And I wish I could tell you as you study here at West Coast and prepare to go into the world to preach the gospel, that by and large, many Christians are looking the other way. Not surprisingly, Martin Nimler was put in jail for his boldness. When he spoke out against the Third Reich and the slaughter of the Jews, they couldn't tolerate any more of that. He was in prison, and the chaplain was making his rounds one morning when he was shocked. He saw his friend, Martin Nimler, was in a jail cell. He said, Martin, what are you doing here? Nimler replied, the question, my brother, is why are you not here? This year at Greater Portland Baptist Church, I, we usually start preparing for the next theme for our year in July. It was evident that God had worked in my life and heart, and, and I claim 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where the Bible says, therefore we have this ministry. God has given us a ministry, all of us to preach the gospel. We're not to handle the word of God deceitfully, but to, to teach it and to stand for it faithfully. And at the end of, or in the middle of that passage in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul makes a statement. He said, as it is written, I believed, therefore have I spoken. And we also believe and therefore speak. Our theme at Greater Portland this year is we believe. We believe in the Bible, the Word of God. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. 
We believe in the resurrection. We believe that He's coming back one day. And with all of those things this morning, that thought of what we believe and what we're to say becomes very evident. As American citizens, our freedom and liberties are defined in what's known in that wonderful document as the U.S. Constitution. Every citizen of the United States of America is bound and protected by the laws and statutes of the Constitution. Inscribed in that historical instrument, we find legal policies and legislative processes and liberating powers given to each of us that not only govern our land, but also establish the broad structure that we call freedom and liberty and rights. The U.S. Constitution consists of a preamble, seven articles, and 27 amendments. The first 10, which are commonly referred to as the Bill of Rights. Allow me today to draw your attention to just one of those amendments. It's found listed in the Bill of Rights, specifically the Fifth Amendment. This amendment provides protection to every American by not compelling them to testify against themselves in a court of law. In a trial, this is often fleshed out by somebody saying or referring to taking the fifth. Some may respond by saying, I refuse to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me. Now, please don't misunderstand that what I'm about to tell you uh, is to shed any uh, darkness or any false love for our country. I love this country. I love my country and I love our Constitution and I live by it. And if called upon this morning, I would tell you I would stand for your freedom and I would die for it. I love this country. But can I remind you this morning that as Christians, our Constitution is none other than this book. It's the Word of God. And could I remind you this morning as Christians, we must understand a very important fact that while uh, you as citizens, we may exercise our right to be silent, but as born again children of God and preachers of the gospel, we do not have the right to remain silent. We believe, therefore we speak. A careful study of the scriptures proved that God has always had a voice. In the Old Testament, there was Noah that preached and warned of a flood. There was Moses that spoke for God and said, let my people go. There was Joshua that declared, you choose who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There was David that declared his allegiance to God as a shepherd, and then later as a soldier, bold to say that my God is able to deliver thee into my hand. To the giant, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know that all of them, even to this point, we remember a woman by the name of Esther that says, I was born for such a time as this. And then came John the Baptist that just said, I'm, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. 
Jesus himself was the Word fleshed out and the Word became flesh and those that heard him said, never a man spake like this man. He taught us as one that had authority. In the New Testament, there was the apostles. Of course, there was Peter. When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Some said, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elias, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he turned to Peter and said, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. Paul in 1 Timothy said, we're ambassadors for Christ. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Beloved John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, gave to us the wonderful testimony of the gospel of John. And then those epistles, three of them, short but filled with power and remind us that this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son, and he that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. And in the book of Revelation, he brings it all to a close and climaxes and says, Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let there be no mistake, the Lord made it clear that we were created to be a part of a vocal assembly. In Acts 1.8 it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And today as we come to this chapel, may I remind you it was God himself that has subpoenaed us to be a witness. We have been charged and commanded to preach the gospel and to start wherever we are in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria and to the uttermost. And we do not have the right to remain silent. Our text was penned when Israel was at an all-time low. The priests and the prophets had become silent. God had even accused them and labeled them as dumb dogs that would not bark. Isaiah says his watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, and loving to slumber. God told Isaiah in chapter 58, he says, Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. This morning as I was reading in Proverbs chapter 8, it says, And wisdom crieth out. I'm convinced this morning that what you and I know must not be kept silent. Wisdom is seeing and understanding this world from God's perspective. And this morning, as we think about all that we are facing, we see that the children of Israel, the people were in rebellion, the priests were in reproach, the promises of God seemed to be removed, but worst of all, God's prophet had resigned. Jeremiah had quit. 
But something happened. He said in verse 9, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He said, I'm fed up with it. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how long he was in this stupor while he was in this state of mind. But it was not long before the word that was in his heart began to burn in his soul. And you have the testimony in verse 9. His word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. This morning I suggest to you, neither can we. What a wonderful thought that when God saves us, he also calls us. He told Timothy, Paul writing, said, thank God that he called us and he put us in the ministry. And as preachers and teachers and missionaries and evangelists and parents and, and every Christian present this morning, my prayer is that when this chapel is over, and each of us, as we have been present, that we will leave here understanding we do not have the right to remain silent. Let me declare this morning, we do not have the right to remain silent about the person of Jesus Christ. If there's a message that must be preached, if there's anything that must be heard, that there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We must not in silence allow a world to go to hell while the name of Jesus is still able to be heard. I challenge you this morning in John 12, he says, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He's the one that we must proclaim in John 9, or in Luke 19 and verse 40. It says, if these hold their peace, then the stones would cry out. In Galatians 6, Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. If there's anything today we have to glory in, it's in the person of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He saved us. It's our turn to serve him. The Bible tells us that I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. True, it said the most reasonable thing that a born-again believer could do is serve their Savior. Listen, this morning, we must lift him up. You know, the problem is Jesus has become our mascot instead of our master. Oh, we've got to let others know about him. I'm, I'm saddened in my heart that when I came to Portland 36 years ago, the reason I went to Portland is because when I was in Bible college, 1980, Time Magazine came out with an article that said the two most unchurched states in America were Washington and Oregon. I remember praying and through um, another message, another story, God led me to Portland. We went to Portland and were there 36 years later. They just, they just came out with another article. And while we've seen thousands saved, we've seen uh, now there are probably five times as many churches in the Northwest than when we went there 36 years ago. 
But the article, I just want to let you know, the article came out and said the two most unchurched states in America are still Washington and Oregon. There's so much to be done. I may not be able to tell you where you can go and take a church, but I can point you to a city that needs a church. We're starting one this Easter. We're going to start the Anchor Baptist Church in Astoria. It's where Lewis and Clark ended their journey looking for that uh, secret passage to the Pacific. Our desire is to show that there's a passage to heaven and Astoria needs to hear about it. We're looking forward to what God is doing. And I just want to come back that it's not about us. It's not about who we are. I'm a Baptist and I'm grateful I'm a Baptist. Why, this name costs uh, many that love God before me a, a wonderful price they paid for us. But the name, and they will tell you, that name that's above every name is the name of Jesus. 25-year-old Ann Askew in July the 16th, 1545, was given a chance to recant of her faith and to live instead of die at the stake. She said with boldness, I am not come hither to deny my Lord. I challenge you this morning. The world will press you. You will be placed in a situation that you will wonder, am I standing for that which really matters? I'm telling you, when it all comes down, when this life is over, that which will only matter will be the name that's above every name, and that's the name of Jesus. I love the song that says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, the cornerstone, the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. We do not have the right to remain silent about the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, hear me preachers, hear me Christians. We do not have the right to remain silent about the problems of our society. Judges 21 says, in those days there was no king in Israel... And everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Proverbs says, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Like John the Baptist cried out, To repent, we must do the same this morning. Let there be no doubt what the answer is and what the cure that we're looking for is found. God gave it to the children of Israel, and today we have it really right before our eyes in Second Chronicles. The prescription for hope and revival is that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It starts with us. First Peter says the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. It must be with us. The problems we're facing, have we been silent too long? Now, I love our country, and I thank God for it. And, and I, I love today, I, I'm, I was thinking again of what our president said in the State of the Union. I'm so grateful that God is blessing America where we are right now. We're in the greatest nation on the earth today. But let me tell you something. I was grieved. This isn't on which side of the aisle you're standing. I'm, I'm not going to fuss with you. 
whether or not you are a Democrat or Republican uh, or which side of the aisle you're on. I'm, that's not what this is about. I'm grieved because the president didn't do what he had the opportunity to do Tuesday night. And America is living this same mentality. When the president stood, my heart was broken when he said, look what I have done since I've been the president. Look what I did. Now, you know and I know politically what he was saying. Compared to the last president, it's something to boast about. But the Bible tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. My heart would have been so encouraged if he would have said, let me tell you, God has blessed us. And where we are today is because of the goodness and the grace of God. And if we will do what God's word tells us, he'll bless this nation. I believe revival can come. But if we, if we are only concerned about a political ticket instead of the promises and warnings of God, I submit to you, we do not have the right to remain silent. We're not called to make America great. We're called to lift up the one and only name that is great. Amen. And that's Jesus Christ. We are to be one nation under God. And God says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. We used to sing, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. And all across America, prayer has been outlawed, Bibles abandoned, the Ten Commandments are mocked, and marriage has been redefined, same-sex marriage is legalized, immorality has become the great American pastime, and, and abortion and murder of the unborn. Over 61 million babies have been murdered since 1973, and since Roe v. Wade was uh, legalized. And as we, as we look at that, in America, 4,383 Babies a day die from abortion. 183 an hour die in America from abortion. That's three every minute. In Portland, Oregon, an abortionist, Jim Newhall, said, Not everybody is meant to be born. He said, I believe for a baby that life begins when his mother wants them. Let me tell you, life doesn't begin when a mother wants them. We're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. And somebody's got to cry out. Somebody has to speak for the unborn. Somebody. We do not have the right to remain silent. I agree with Randy Alcorn that said personhood isn't something to be bestowed on human beings by Ivy League professors intent on ridding society of the undesirables. While there may be illegitimate parents, there are no illegitimate children. Let us remember today that we are to be their voice. In the scripture, the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, If thou feign in the day adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul doth not he know it? And shall he not render to every man according to his works? We do not have the right to remain silent. 
We have legalized assisted suicide. We've legalized marijuana. And Jeremiah said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore, but I could not be silent for there was a burning fire in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. Not only about the problems of the society and our society and the person of Jesus Christ, but thirdly, quickly, we must not remain silent about the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. Hebrews 7 says, Wherefore he's able to save them to the uttermost that it may come unto God by him. Mark 16, 15 says, Preach the gospel to every creature. The word gospel has the idea of, of the dynamite. We're to preach. God has given to us the power, that which is necessary, that Jesus not only died and that he was buried, but three days later he arose again. That's what makes Jesus different than Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or any other religious leader. We must remember the gospel is the power of the salvation to anyone. You see, I believe. Therefore, I've spoken. My father, a drunkard, my mother and father, uh, I was, my mother conceived me when I was, she was 16 and I told her as I grew up, we were kids. She was a kid having a kid. My mother was married five times. The gospel, however, changed everything. I got saved. My wrestling coach in high school led me to Christ. Public school. I was the first to get saved. Then after my sister got saved, my brother got saved. Then my mother got saved. My mother had been married five different times and my dad was a drunk and he, was, uh, he wandered into a rescue mission in Jacksonville, Florida. My brother Greg was preaching that night in that rescue mission. He came forward in the invitation and he came up and Greg walked over and said, have you made a decision? He said, you don't know who I am, do you? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, I'm your father. And my daddy got saved. And then after my mom and dad got saved, he went through a, a rehabilitation process and a program. And, and I, you can talk to me about the theology of it. They got married again. And they lived for Jesus until they both died and went to heaven. All I'm telling you, you may come from a broken family. You may knock on the door of somebody that seems like there's hope, no hope. I want to tell you, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that will believe it. It could be your father. It could be the prostitute. It could be that person that rode the bus this week or, or the person that you're teaching in your, in your Christian school. We have the gospel. We do not have the right to remain silent. We do not have the right to remain silent about the provisions and blessings of God in our life. The Bible says, let the, the redeemed of the Lord say so. One of the greatest testimonies to impact this dark world is the testimony of God working in your life. Wherever you go, wherever you're at, at work or in a Christian school or, or maybe serving in the military or wherever we are, we're to be light. 
We're to be salt, and we ought to, as, as David said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And it's in Him that we live. It's in Him that we move and we have our being. Because of time, let me say, we do not have the right to remain silent about the person of Christ, the problems of our society, the power of the gospel, the provisions and blessings of God. It's a wonderful time to have testimonies and to share what God has done. But let me say finally, we must not remain silent about the provision and blessings of God and then the promise of His coming. Somehow we forget He's coming back. Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. 1 John 9, uh, chapter 2 tells us in verse 28, Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 1 John 3 says, And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself for even as he is pure. I know this. I know that none of us know what's on the morrow for what is our life. It's even as a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanisheth away. And we're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow for we know not what a day may bring forth. I know that this may be the last message that I could ever preach. But when my children were little, they used to ask me, Dad, what's your best message? What's the best message you ever preached? And they were just little, and I, I, they would get tickled because I would always answer the same. They knew what the answer was going to be. Daddy, what's your best message? And my answer would be, the next one, the next one. And they'd laugh, thought it was so funny, but in my heart, I really meant that. Now, I don't know how many more messages I have, but if, if we have to tarry for our Lord to come back, then... Let's determine we're not going to remain silent. We're not going to keep looking over our shoulder. We're going to look ahead. We're going to realize that he's coming back. And the promise of his coming ought to motivate us to tell others about Christ. And, and what, what would I want to do when Jesus comes back? I've thought about it. I don't know if you've ever thought about those things. But what would you want to be doing if Jesus... I've often thought I'd like to be leading somebody to Christ. I'd like to say now, would you like to pray and receive Christ as your Savior? And right as they said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, bam, we'd go up. I'd love to be doing, I'd like to be preaching. I'd love to be preaching on the second coming. And the Bible says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. For where to sorrow not is them that have no hope. And all of a sudden the trumpet sounds. And we go up to be with the Lord. I've thought about different things I'd like to be doing. But I want to be sharing Jesus. And I serve you notice tonight. When you go to bed and when this day ends, please write it down somewhere. We do not have the right to remain silent. The chaplain was making his rounds that morning when he was shocked that his friend Martin Nimler was in jail. He asked Martin, what are you in here? Why are you in here? Nimler replied, the question, my brother, is why are you not here? John Huss, Bohemian reformer, was a man who believed the scriptures to be the infallible supreme authority in all matters. He died at the stake for his belief in Constance, Germany. 
It was on his 42nd birthday as he refused a final plea to renounce his faith. The last words of John Huss were these. When I taught with my lips today, I seal with my blood. God is not asking us to die for him. He's asking us to live for him. And today, please hear it from a preacher. We do not have the right to remain silent.